Hi there, good morning. My name is Andy Tier, and I lead the online campus here at Crossroads. And it's awesome to get a chance to speak with you again today. I, I was up here just a few weeks ago and I had a chance to share. And I, I talked just a little bit at the start of my message about some of my uh, time in service in the military. Uh, today, though, I'm going to go back just a little bit further, right? I'm going to go back till when I was eight years old. So if you can picture this, this is 1977. So it's a little while ago, right? So like most people in this area, no clue what I'm talking about in 1977. But, but yeah, uh, 1977, I was eight years old. I can remember sitting in this um, small Southern Baptist church in Taylorville, Illinois. My dad was the pastor and... Um, I was waiting for him to get through his message because I, I, today was the day that I had decided in Sunday school, I decided that I was going to dedicate my life to Christ. So I waited through what I thought was an incredibly long message that my dad preached that morning. I think he was trying to punish me or something. Maybe he knew what was up. But uh, anyway, I, I sat through the message. I waited for that time of invitation. And then the time of invitation came. And the time of invitation in the Southern Baptist Church, this, this is the end, uh, a lot of times we call it now the altar call or, or something like that, where um, the, the pastor would uh, welcome people to the front that were ready to receive Jesus as their Lord and Savior, that had made that decision that they wanted to make Jesus Lord of their life. So dad gives the invitation and I stand up. I was in the second pew. There's not a lot of people in the second pews. What's up, Dom? I say Dom. There's a few people. That's the third, but still close. There's a few people in the third pew here, but, um, and I see Kate over here in the first one, but uh, still, you know what? Um, I was sitting in that second pew and I stood up. Uh, my best friend, David Edwards, stood up with me and both of us walked to the front, and we publicly professed our faith in Jesus Christ, okay? And so then a couple weeks later, it was time for us to be baptized. Now, uh, the building we were in was a brand new building. They had just finished construction. And, and so I was actually the first person baptized in Taylorville Southern Baptist Church. And, and I remember standing at the edge of the baptismal, and, and I know that our facilities people can relate to this. The water was a little bit murky, and uh, I remember standing at the edge and I knew somewhere down there, my dad had put a cinder block because I went down the steps and then I had to step onto the cinder block in order to keep my head above the water. I was only eight and I was a very small person. My head was still this size, but the rest of my body was very minute. Okay, so you gotta, you gotta picture that. Uh, when I was in the army, they said I, I looked like the Sesame Street lamppost. But uh, anyway, that's, that's how I was built, all right? So uh, I, I'm standing on this cement block and my dad goes through, you know, all, all of this stuff. You know, Andy is, as, you know, in profession of your faith, of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, I now baptize you. He, he dunks me underwater and my feet come off of that block. So I, I have no footing. I start thrashing around. It looks like my dad is trying to kill me, right? He's holding me, trying to get me back up. And I'm just thrashing around, trying to grab onto anything. And I finally grab the glass on the edge of the baptistry. And I think if you go back to that church now, my handprint is still there because I grabbed that for all that was in me, right? And, and my, I, that settled me down enough. My dad was able to pick me up and set me back down on that cinder block. And I was able to regain my, my breath, you know, my composure, and then not taking any chances, my dad picked me up and then set me on the bottom step out of the baptismal, and I was able to proceed out, right? My harrowing experience at the hands of my father were, was over at that point. But uh, a couple weeks later, I received as a gift uh, this Bible that's here on this table. And um, this was 
<laughs> I mean, it's still a Bible, but there's not a, it's missing some pieces, right? It's missing the front cover, the spine. Uh, you can see where I've dipped it in Kool-Aid. I was eight, you know? But this is the Children's Living Bible. And I love this copy of the Bible that I have. On the back of it, there's a picture of Jesus and he's holding a lamb. And, and this picture of Jesus, actually, that looks a lot like what my dad looked like. So, so I love it. You know, if, if he had on a leisure suit, that would be my dad holding that lamb. But uh, anyway, that picture reminded me of the 23rd Psalm. So uh, today, as we start, I, I thought it would be nice to read that scripture from uh, this Bible, okay? So this is the Living Bible Translation, the Children's Living Bible Translation, or, or paraphrase, sorry. It says, because the Lord is my shepherd, I have everything I need. He lets me rest in the meadow grass and leads me beside the quiet streams. He restores my failing health. He helps me do what honors him the most. Even when walking through the dark valley of death, I will not be afraid for you are close beside me, guarding, guiding all the way. You provide delicious food for me in the presence of my enemies. You have welcomed me as your guest. Blessings overflow. Your goodness and unfailing kindness shall be with me all my life. And afterwards, I'll live with you forever in your home. Now, that probably reads a little bit differently than you're used to hearing that particular psalm. As a kid, uh, I was made to memorize that psalm in the King James version of the Bible. And that is much more familiar to many of us. We hear it read at a lot of funerals and events like that. So I'm gonna read it from King James now. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He maketh me to lie down in green pastures. He leadeth me beside the still waters. He restoreth my soul. He leadeth me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For thou art with me, thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. Thou preparest a table before me in the presence of mine enemies. Thou anointest my head with oil, my cup runneth over. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Now, like I said before, that psalm, we hear that a lot. And it's, it's kind of like, maybe it's like John three sixteen. It's one of those scriptures that we hear so often that can almost be kind of easy to walk past it or to set it aside. We might think of it as something that's, uh, you know, for children or, or for young believers. But here's the thing. When, when we studied and we, and we, set aside time to, to look at this particular sermon series on Psalms as a team. Um, and we talked about which of the Psalms related to each of these character attributes of God. And when it came to faithfulness, the 23rd Psalm was the first Psalm that came to mind. And in fact, uh, two weeks ago, I was in Florida uh, with my family. We were visiting my mother. And I asked her, mom, um, what does the phrase God's faithfulness mean to you? And this is what she said. She said, Andy, he's my shepherd. He makes me lie down. He makes me rest. And he even guides me through the valleys. She said, Andy, I wouldn't be here today without him. And and I've got to tell you that that says a lot. Because knowing what my mom has been through over the past 12 months, that's a very powerful statement from her. And it's awesome to me that she quoted the 23rd Psalm in her depiction of God's faithfulness. But see, over the course of the past year, last January, my father passed away. This fall, my mom 
was playing with her dog. She kicked a ball, she fell, and she broke her shoulder. While she was recovering from the broken shoulder, she received an unrelated cancer diagnosis. So when my mom talks about being through some valleys in these past 12 months, she knows exactly what she's talking about. And for her, God's faithful love has sustained and is sustaining her through each one of those valleys, these shadows through which she's had to pass. But now today, here's the thing. I don't wanna just focus on the shadows. This isn't all just about verse four of Psalms 23. So I wanna start at the beginning. Let's start at the top of that Psalm. The first verse starts off by identifying God as a shepherd. And when I I read this and I prayed about it, I thought, you know, David paints a picture of God. Phil talked last week about how uh, David uses words like a paintbrush to paint pictures of God. He does that through the lens of his own personal experience. And David grew up a shepherd. So David, above all, he knew everything that it took to be the ultimate shepherd. I'm sure David had a list in his head that that he'd go through, you know, like, hey, if if you're going to be great at this, these are the things you need to do. Well, when you look at the 23rd Psalm, you see that list, right? It says, he makes him lie down. He he leads him to food and to water. He gives him rest, restores his soul. Well, when, when I fell off of that center block in the baptistry, it was my lack of peace that kept my father from being able to set me back down upon it. If I had just stayed calm, if I had relaxed into my father's arms, he could have set me back down on that cinder block. I could have been restored. I could have grabbed my breath. I could have taken my own step onto that bottom step of the baptistry up and out. No harrowing experience, right? Just a momentary trouble as I fell off the block. That's not what happened. I wasn't able to maintain my peace. David talks about how God actually makes him lie down. It leads him to the food and the water, gives him the restoration that he needs. God knows what we need. And as the ultimate shepherd, God checks every box off of that list that David has created when it comes to being the ultimate shepherd. When David passes through the valley of the shadow of death, when he passed through hard times, David knows that he doesn't have to be afraid because God is there guiding and protecting him. When he speaks of the rod and the staff, these are tools that the shepherd used. The rod would have been used to uh, fend off dangerous animals that were trying to attack the flock. The, the staff would be like a shepherd's crook and, and that hook at the end could have been used to rescue sheep that had gotten into dangerous situations. The long part of that staff could have been used to correct them, to guide them as they tried to maybe wander away from the flock, right? So these tools of the shepherd that David lists are both for protection and, but also, and for comfort and also for discipline and for guidance. Now, when we get to verse five, we see that the Psalm, it, it takes a bit of a turn. David so far has painted this picture of God as the ultimate shepherd. In verse five, it changes and he, and he paints a picture of God as the ultimate host. So I like alliteration. I think of good shepherd, gracious host. Okay, first four verses, good shepherd, last two, gracious host, all right? And it speaks there about how God prepares a feast for David right in front of his enemies. And again, this is God working in the midst of trouble in David's life to ensure that his needs are met. God makes certain that David has the sustenance that he needs to get him through and then some. Because when it talks about anointing his head with oil and filling his cup to overflowing, these are signs of God's abundant blessing. And then the final verse of this Psalm says, your goodness and unfailing kindness, 
shall be with me all of my life. And afterwards, I will live with you forever in your home. And here is where this Psalm, it directly addresses not just God's loving care and provision, but also it paints a clear picture of God's faithfulness. See, the Hebrew word that's translated as unfailing kindness is this word that is hesed or or hesed. There's like this guttural thing you, you do when you say it. But anyway, this root word shows up over 240 times in the Old Testament. It speaks of hesed, all right? Now, the problem with this word though is that there's not one word in the English language that adequately defines it. It doesn't catch, it doesn't grasp the, the whole, the fullness of this word, hesed, okay? So in today's Bible, we replace it with words like kindness, a made up word, like loving kindness, uh, goodness, mercy, or faithfulness, okay? So those are the words we see when the word hesed appears throughout the Old Testament. Um, there's two, though, concepts that often accompany this word hesed when you see it. One is its eternal nature. It's often accompanied with words like uh, never ending or everlasting or never fails. So when you see words like God's kindness never fails, that it's talking of his chesed, okay? Um, the second concept that often accompanies chesed when we see it is covenant. Covenant is usually there. Um, a covenant, we've got to remember, I, I talked about this a few months ago. Um, a, a covenant is it's more than a legal contract. It can be sometimes easy for us to think of it as a legal contract. It's not just a contract between two legal entities. A, a covenant is more than that, right? It's a solemn oath. It's a promise. And it's a promise that's done between two people or a person or a people and God. That's what a covenant is. And now we know the Bible tells one story, right? It's the story of God and us. Well, that story, the relationship between God and us is defined by those covenants that we see throughout scripture, all right? So we arrive at this kind of rough explanation, I hesitate to call it a definition, of the meaning of chesed, okay? Chesed is an act of love, grace, or mercy, all right? And, I, and notice, I say it's an action. It's an act, right, of, of mercy that is everlasting or ongoing. And it's overwhelmingly most often generated by the greater of the two parties within a covenant, Okay, so the 23rd Psalm reminds us of not just God's care, not just his provision and protection, but also of his eternal loving kindness, his faithfulness, his chesed. And when I broke this Psalm down and I started looking at the verbs or the actions within it, when I study scripture, I like to try to break it down to its kind of little constituent parts. So I look at all the action words that are found within the 23rd Psalm. I listed them out and, and they, they say things like this, making, leading, restoring, leading again. Uh, the living Bible, we see guiding and guarding. And, and there's something that all of these verbs have in common, right? They're all very direct acts that you take upon a person, right? There, there are ways that you, you might talk to or treat a young person, Right? You might make them lie down, right? Uh, Things like that, lead. Um, Now, this next part, these last two verses though, we see a little bit of a shift again. We see God preparing. We see him anointing us and we also see him 
following or being with us. Now, these are still actions, right? But they're not as directive. They're ways you might handle somebody maybe that's gained some maturity, you know? And as I first read this Psalm and I, and I thought, looked through that list of verbs, I thought, well, there we go. This 23rd Psalm lists a maturation process. It starts with a person as a, as a young Christian and then you see them in the end, they can accept God's loving kindness and that he's faithful forever. But, but here's the thing. When I talked to my mom and she told me of the ways that God had related to her in the course of the past 12 months, and trust me, my mom is no child, I realized that this isn't a linear progression. Instead, it's circular, okay? So at times, you might need God to lie you down. You might need him to give you rest and the sustenance to help provide the strength that you need to go through that valley of the shadow of death, right? At other times, you might need God to sit you down at a table, not away from the problem, but in the midst of it, facing down your enemy eye to eye, right? That's what it's saying, that he's preparing a table. It says in the midst of your enemy. If you go back and look at it, it's like actually in front of your enemy. You're facing your enemy down eye to eye. Now, so in, in those times, God is, he's giving you the strength that you need in your trouble to face it down. But always throughout the whole thing, you've got this picture too of God's faithfulness, his loving kindness, his chesed, as that song said that we sang earlier, chasing us down, following us, pursuing us, right? And then we come to the top of the circle. God, with God as our shepherd, we have everything we need. So all of that is included within this psalm so beautifully. I love it. Now, earlier I mentioned uh, some of those valleys that my mom has walked through, some of the shadows that as a family we, we've, we've faced together. But what we've got to remember is that all of us, every one of us, is going to face shadows. We're all going to pass through dark times. We're all gonna to have to walk through that valley of the shadow of death, right? In James chapter one, verses two through four says, consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. Now, I'm optimistic to a fault. Like I see the good side in everything. I love to laugh. I love to experience joy. Uh, when, when I laid out this message and I talked to Phil about this, I was like, Phil, this is a hard message for me. I'd rather stand up front and try to be funny than stand up front and share some of those valleys that my family has faced. But here's the blessing. God has been with me through all of that. Now I can look back at it and I can see the way that he was faithful, the way he showed his loving kindness to my family through each one of these dark places. Now, and I've got to admit, you know, I didn't find joy in those moments over the course of the past 12 months. I found joy in some other places, you know, um, Two of my nieces and one of my nephews got married last year. It was a great chance for our family to come together. It, it, was, it was phenomenal. My wife and I were able to take a vacation, just the two of us, for the first time in what's been a really long time. And then here this past Christmas, just following Christmas, um, we were blessed with the opportunity as a, as a family to go to Florida, like I said, and visit my mother. So we've had times of God's abundant blessing being just obvious to us throughout the course of this past 12 months. But now I can look back over the course of that same year and, and 
I have a very different perspective on what I would call those times of shadow as well. Now I can see God's hand at work throughout the course of the year. I can see where he met our needs again and again, sometimes going above and beyond that realm of abundant blessing, anything that we could have hoped for. Now, a couple of weeks ago, as part of the final sermon of 2021, Andrew Bondurant shared, and he, and he asked us to write down the ways that we had seen God work during the course of 2021. So the other day I sat down and I, I tried to write out all the ways that I'd seen God's hand at work following my dad's um, vascular dementia. That's what he had, um, diagnosis. Now, now understand, t- today I don't have time to list all the ways. I'm gonna list a few so that you have an idea of how God has so abundantly blessed our family through these times. First off, my sisters and I, I've got three sisters. Um, we made a point of visiting my parents in Florida together. Uh, in the past, we all visited my parents at different times, right? I mean, it's, it's kind of just being, being nice too. You, they, they didn't want a dozen people maybe at, the, at their home at the same time. It's not a big place, it's just a little place. So, but over the course of the past year, we had decided that we were gonna visit my parents together, just my sisters and I. And my sisters and I are closer than we've been in decades. And it's awesome. And then when dad's condition worsened, uh, we all made those trips more frequently. We worked together to make sure my parents were taken care of consistently. Uh, my sisters and I, we, we finally had a chance to show my parents that loving kindness, that grace, that mercy that they showed to us as children as we were growing up. It was our chance to return some of that, to give some of that back to them. And that's what chesed, by the way, looks like in a personal relationship, all right? Um, My wife and kids, they helped me in more ways than I can say, you know, as emotional support and so much more. Um, I I didn't share this in the last message, but but here's the thing. Uh, My wife and I, we, we have a past history of what I can only call less than stellar stewardship of our finances, right? Um, well, a couple years ago, we were blessed with the opportunity to go to the Crossroads Counseling Center and we worked with Aaron Musgrave out there. And he helped us actually build a plan and to follow in, in, in a scriptural way, uh, proper stewardship. And, and we're in a very different place today than we were just a few years ago. Every time I needed to travel to Florida, the finances were there. And that if you knew my past, that's a miracle. <laughs> now, uh, I learned once again, how awesome my extended family is. My aunts, my uncles, my cousins, even my brothers-in-law, uh, they all pitched in and they helped out in various ways. They, they constantly contacted us, providing encouragement to us. Um, and then they also did other things, like they opened their homes to us. I've got a lot of family there in the same area that my mom lives in, in Florida. They opened their homes to us so that we could stay there close to my parents and help take care of them. They hosted meals for us and they provided transportation. They picked us up at the airport and things like that. And they helped us out in so many other ways as well. And then a a big one for me is the in-home care that my dad received during his final year. Uh, That in-home care was phenomenal. And one of the aspects of that that I didn't expect that is just an abundant blessing was the chaplain that was assigned to help my family. And this man made visits to my parents' home and he sang hymns to my dad that my dad remembered from his times in that old Southern Baptist church. And this man, he didn't sing beautifully, but man, it was beautiful to us 
to hear those hymns sung again right there. And my dad would sometimes mouth along as he heard those words. It was awesome. And then in his final days, I can remember this chaplain being there. And, and uh, we love this guy. And, and, but he said something in, in his final, it's actually in the last 24 hours my dad was alive. He, he said, Ron, God is waiting to greet you with open arms and a hearty, well done, my good and faithful servant. He said, Ron, I've met your children. I've met your family. They're all here. And he said, he said, Ron, you can go in peace now. Your work is done. My dad passed away within 24 hours of hearing that. And I got to tell you, I saw God's guidance in each of the decisions made by my entire family as we prayed for him to lead us down paths that we never expected to travel. My, man, my father was a strong man to see him in that way. That is no way that we ever expected to see my father. And I may not have thought of those times as a joyful, but now I can look back at him. Now I can see God's hand at work throughout. I can see how he provided peace and, and he really did even provide joy in what was truthfully the valley of the shadow of death. In Psalms 89 verses one and two, it says this, I will sing of the Lord's great love forever. With my mouth, I will make your faithfulness known through all generations. I will declare that your love stands firm forever that you have established your faithfulness in heaven itself. Now, the truth is I'm a terrible singer. When I came down front and I sat here and I noticed there was nobody around me, I was afraid some of you might've heard after that last service, how loudly and terribly I sang or something. But uh, the fact is I'm just not a good singer. You know, uh, when I was in school, I played the drums. I didn't, I didn't need to understand key and, and things like that. So I'd rather just, shout my praise to the Lord. I'd rather rap or whatever it is, you know, anything to avoid having to carry a tune. But here's the thing. Uh, I can do my part still in following the intent of the scripture, right? I can make sure that I share my experiences of God's faithfulness, his loving kindness, his chesed with others, especially my children. And then eventually someday my children's children so that his love will be made known throughout all generations, right? I wanna do my part in that. And it's important for every one of us to share the ways that God has been good to us. It encourages us and it lifts up other members of our church family. It causes people outside of that circle to ask what it's all about. It can open up many opportunities for us to share God's love with the world. As I review the stories of God's goodness to me and my family, uh, I've, and I, like I said, I've seen them do so much more it gives me the faith that I need to continue in to 2022. Now, earlier, there was a time in service that we all participated in a form of this. Excuse me, just a second. Sorry, as I talk about my data. But um, anyway, uh, we, we had a moment as a community, as a church community, to take part in this sharing the things that God has done. Uh, when Chris led us in reading a portion of the 136th Psalm, the, the 136th Psalm is a beautiful Psalm. It's, it's actually called the Great Hallel, okay? Uh, it's, it's sung like at uh, Sabbath morning services. And, and more than that, it's sung the, at the final meal of Passover. 
So that great Hallel, the 136th Psalm that Chris led us in earlier, actually most likely is the last song that Jesus and his disciples sang together before Jesus was arrested and then crucified. So that Psalm is, it's a very important Psalm to the church of today as well, not just to the Israelites. 17 times that Psalm lists things that God has done. Three times it lists things that he does or he is on an ongoing basis. It says he is good. He does great wonders. He gives food to every creature. And that same Psalm reminds us of God's sovereignty as it lists three of the names of God, God of gods, Lord of lords, God of heaven, right? And as we read it this morning, as Chris explained from the CSB translation, each of the phrases within that Psalm ends with this statement, his faithful love endures forever. Now those words, faithful love, can you just guess at what the Hebrew root word is that has been translated as faithful love? It's hesed, it's hesed. Once again, that shows up again. 26 times it shows up in that one Psalm as we remind ourselves again and again of God's faithful love, his faithfulness, his hesed. Now, there's great value in reading that Psalm in community because it reminds us of all those things he's done, who he is, the fact that he reigns, and it repeats over and over of his faithfulness. But now, personally, we need to do this as well, like in one-on-one and in other relationships, we need to share what God has done in our lives, who he is to us, right? Um, I'm working on developing some new spiritual disciplines this year, and, and part of that is journaling, And I think it's a great idea for us all to record the ways that we see God at work throughout our lives. Now, here's here's the thing. If you read through the Psalms, you'll see that the Psalms are kind of a journal of the experiences of the people that have written them, right? And, And the cool thing with Psalms, what I love is that it's not all up. It's not all, they don't just list all the highs, right? There are Psalms called laments. Laments are basically like complaints to God. And, and actually, I, I talked to Andrew Bondaran about this. 40% of the Psalms could be classified as laments. So it's great to me to see these biblical greats as they uh, are going about their life and they're recording the ways they see God in their life. They also record the times where they're failing to sense his presence, right? And, and to me, that's encouraging because I need to know that the life of these Biblical heroes, right, isn't all shiny and squeaky clean. I need to know that, that they suffered the same way that I'm suffering, right? I need to be able to see that. And it's encouraging me to see that. So I appreciate the fact that it's there. Now, a minute ago, I read the first couple of verses of the 89th Psalm, right? Now, that Psalm is, is really fascinating because uh, those first eight verses of that Psalm, they talk about God's faithfulness. And then verses nine through 13, they speak of God's power. They speak of his sovereignty. That's the concept that Phil taught on last week and it shows up again and again throughout the Psalms, right? Now, um, verses 14 through 18 speak of the blessings that come to those that call him Lord. And then you have verses 19 through 37. These speak of God's covenant with David. And then we come to verse 38. Verse 38 reads like this, but you have rejected, you have spurned, you have been very angry with your anointed one. 
You have renounced the covenant with your servant and have defiled his crown in the dust. That's Psalms 89, 38, and 39. Uh, The next dozen verses actually list out this long complaint to God. Now, uh, in in our last sermon series, we talked talked about how Zechariah and Mary also ask questions of God, right? And, And it's okay for us to ask questions of God. And in that portion of scripture, in the 89th Psalm, uh, the psalmist asks some questions. Verses 46, 48, and 49 list those questions. He says, how long, Lord, will you hide yourself forever? How long will your wrath burn like fire? Who can live and not see death? Or who can escape the power of the grave? Lord, where is your former great love, which in your faithfulness you swore to David? Well, the man that wrote this psalm, his name was Ethan the Ezraite. There's a couple really cool things you need to know about Ethan the Ezraite. One, and it's probably, might be my personal favorite, is that he was a percussionist, all right? Ethan the Ezraite played the bronze cymbals. He was a musician appointed by David. And uh, I grew up in band. I loved playing the drums. You know, I said, I said something about that earlier. So, um, I feel like, hey, there's somebody I can relate to. His other trait that he's known for, I hope I also can claim part of. Ethan the Ezraite was known as an incredibly wise man, right? It might have something to do with him being a percussionist. I don't know. But anyway, uh, Ethan was known as an incredibly wise man. And we know that because in 1 Kings, when it talks about Solomon and Solomon's wisdom, it says that Solomon was wiser than all the people in the land. And it says, including Ethan the Ezraite. So Ethan the Ezraite, this is fascinating to me. He's the the ruler or the measuring stick against which Solomon's wisdom was measured. So this is a wise dude, all right? Now, as I read his questions in the 89th Psalm, I thought probably a good idea to explore these questions further. And so I looked at his questions. His questions are basically, how long will this last? Who can live and not die? Or who can escape the power of the grave? He also says, where is your great love? And there's a couple things that stand out to me right off the bat about these questions. One is that Jesus is the answer to all of them. I think that's awesome. And then the second part is kind of a personal issue I have with these questions. Because I read these questions and I see that these questions are how, who, and where. But what's missing in my mind is why. See, if your world was falling down all around you, wouldn't you want to know why? That would be my first question. In my family, as we watched my father's memory fade, as we watched his physical condition deteriorate, my sister and I got, to, my sisters and I got together and we talked about why is this happening to our dad? He's a great man. He's faithful. He loves God with all of his heart. There was no question of that. He, was, he provided a great example for us of how a God that loves us like a father loves his children would love us. That was my dad. That's my personal experience with my, my earthly father. And I couldn't understand why, God, why would this happen to my dad? Well, in the 89th Psalm, I see the author, this incredibly wise man, he looks at everything falling apart around him and his questions really boil down to two things. How long will God let this happen? And where is God's love in this? And, and as I read and I, I prayed about this passage, I thought, you know what? 
what would Ethan have done with the answer to why? You know, with the answer to how long, he would have had a date. He would have had, or a time frame. Ethan could have talked to the people of Israel. He could have said, this is the date. He could have pointed at it and said, this is the date of our release. This is the date of our impending freedom, right? And that would have stirred their faith. That's what he could have done with the how long. When he asked the, um, where is your love in this? Yet with the answer to that question, it, Ethan could have said, hey, God has told me that uh, this is where his love is. So they would have had a location. They would have had something they could point at and go, hey, there's the answer to the problem that we're in. There is where God's love is. But what could Ethan possibly have done with the why, right? And, and now I don't think it's wrong to ask why. I, if you read other Psalms, there's plenty of the songs of lament, ask that question, why? But, but this one is written by Ethan. He, he's an incredibly wise man. And so I thought, you know, maybe it's true that many times our why question may be better replaced with questions like how long and where is God's love in this? I do believe that at times God will answer that why question, especially if it's like uh, some kind of, um, like an ongoing thing. Like if, you have, if you're continuing to do a continued action that's outside of God's will and that that pain in your life is a result of that, God will reveal to you the why in that situation, right? But many times, that how long and where is God's love in this might be the better questions for us. And now I can look back and I can see where God's love was with my family throughout the passing of my father. I still don't have a, a great answer to that why question that we asked, but honestly, I don't require it. In four days, it's gonna be the anniversary of my father's passing. And, you know, I, I don't plan on celebrating that event, but I do acknowledge it and I can look back on it and I can see the miraculous working of God throughout. I see evidence of God's faithfulness, of his chesed woven throughout that entire experience. Now, recently I, I read a book by the hip hop artist Show Baraka. It's a phenomenal book, I, I recommend it. And, and in it, he talked about how as Christians, we sometimes have this propensity to separate ourselves so fully from darkness that when it makes an appearance in our circle of friends or our family or in our circle of acquaintances, we don't know how to respond or relate to it. Instead, we respond like the priest or the Levite did in the um, story of the Good Samaritan. We avoid it at all costs. We'll cross the street to get away from it. We refuse to acknowledge that darkness or that, or that pain. But here's the thing, shadows, add to the depth and dimension of our life. Do you remember art class? So in art class, um, you could take a white circle and simply by adding shading to it, it became a sphere or it could have a bowl. You added depth or dimension to it, right? It was those shadows, that shading that added that depth and dimension to it. I don't think that... The only reason or the ultimate reason for pain in our life is to add depth or dimension, but it is a meaningful or a significant byproduct. Romans chapter five says that through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. It says, we boast in the hope of the glory of God. And we boast of this in our afflictions, right? It doesn't say that we boast of our afflictions. We, we don't host a pity party and try to one-up one another 
with all the bad stuff, with all the darkness that's been present in our lives, right? Instead, we boast of God's place in that and, and, and his glory and, and the hope that we've seen in those situations, okay? And actually, as we boast in our afflictions, we know that those afflictions produce endurance. Endurance produces proven character. Proven character is depth and dimension in your life, right? And, and that produces hope. So know, as you experience pain, that why may be elusive, but God's faithfulness, his loving kindness, his mercy, his grace, his chesed is right there with you. When you go to look for God's presence as you're passing through the valley of the shadow of death, just as it says in Psalms chapter 23, uh, know that he's right there with you. He's guiding, correcting, loving, and providing for you. See, God is faithful. That's God's nature. He cannot separate himself from it. Now today, I encourage you to record the ways that you see God working in your life. Then as the 89th Psalm says to do, share them with the people around you. See, as a community of faith, as a church, that's our job, to lift one another up in love. That's what it says in Ephesians. Now, uh, there's a few ways that you can do this today, and we would love for you to do this today. You might've noticed as you came in, on the walls outside, it says, live and love like Jesus. You saw some post-it notes there. Well, what we've asked people to do is take one way that God has been faithful to you over the course of the past 12 months, write it on a post-it note, and then on the wall where it says, live and love like Jesus, post it. That way, other members of our church family can see ways that God has been faithful in our life and they can be, they can be encouraged by that. Now, if you're joining us online, you can't, you can't do that, right? You can't come and, and post the note. But what you can do is you can text us the way that God has been good to you. Text us, use the church's phone number. It's 812-858-8668. The online campus has its own number, 812-4321-820. If you just text the way that God has been faithful to you over the course of the past 12 months, we'll put it on a post-it note and then stick it on the wall. We would love to share that with everybody. If you're comfortable with it, you can record a selfie video, share it in social, whatever it takes. Um, tag us though. We would love to be able to share it with you. Tag Crossroads Christian Church or um, put hashtag um, CCCGo my story. That way we'll be able to find it. We'll search that and, and find it and be able to share that as well. All right? So please do those things before you leave today. Now, as I talked about the 89th Psalm, I left one verse out. The final verse, the final verse of that Psalm, verse 52 says this, praise be to the Lord forever. Amen and amen. So the author of this Psalm, in this case, Ethan, the Ezraite, he finishes off his complaint with, complaint with this amazing statement of faith, right? And praise. He says, praise be to the Lord forever. And, and right now we're gonna take a few minutes and we're gonna do just that. Chris and Bethany are gonna come out we're gonna spend a few moments. We're gonna sing a song that speaks of God's faithful love to us, okay? And, and when they finish that song, I'll come up. I've got just a couple words of encouragement, um, some information that you need before you go today, and then we'll dismiss, okay?